0: Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming this morning. We're glad to have you at HBF. If you're a guest with us, I uh, appreciate you coming and taking some time over this holiday weekend to spend it with us. Got a lot of folks out traveling, so uh, be praying for them as they travel around and get where they need to go. And I hope you, like me, had a great time with family and friends over the holiday weekend. What a great time it was. I don't know about y'all, but I enjoy it. My favorite holiday was Thanksgiving. And it is, not was, it is Thanksgiving. And uh, not to minimize Christmas or Easter, but I just love spending time being thankful. Uh, you know, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done, and uh, it is so important to to take time to do that, and I'm glad we live in a culture and a country where they do that, and uh, I'm spending time the last week or so with some folks from Asia, and and uh, they are uh, enamored by the holidays that we celebrate, and, and it really helps me appreciate them as well. If you have your Bibles, we took them to the, to be looking and taking yourself to the book of Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter seventeen. We're moving on in our study this morning of, of uh, walking in the wilderness of sin. Our little mini series out of the book of Exodus, and I want to encourage you all this morning in the Word of God, to do what we just sang. That was a perfect song, really, to set up this message. And and really, if the nation of Israel would have uh, just taken everything to the Lord in prayer, it would have been so much better. Uh, but we see here as we come into this uh, this chapter that uh, once again they're in need, and uh, and so. This this morning, if you if you don't have a Bible, uh, grab one from the seat rack in front of you. You can turn to page one hundred and eight, and we'll be in the book of Exodus, chapter seventeen. Last week we saw how God allowed Israel to long for bread, so they could teach them so He could teach them a lesson and reveal His love for them. And if you were here, you'll remember how we saw God provide manna to the children of Israel. And this week we're going to see God provide water from the rock. I've titled this message the. Water from the rock for the church on the move. The church was on the move, obviously. God had them moving around. And if you look in your Bible in Exodus chapter 17, we'll just pick up the journey. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Exodus 17, 1 through 7. The Bible says, and, and is a conjunction. So it's connecting us to what we saw in chapter 16, so that we're moving forward. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide ye with me? Wherefore, do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, wherefore, is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, what shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel. And thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the rock and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. Moses did it in the sight of the elders uh, of Israel. Verse 7. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Heavenly Father, we know that you're with us. The Bible teaches us that you're with us always, and we're so thankful for that. And, Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We're thankful, we're thankful for your provision, and we're thankful, Lord, this morning for uh, the opportunity just to gather back together in a free country where we can worship you lord it's a blessing just a symbol around your word we pray god that you'd be exalted thank you for the praise lord the bible tells us you inhabit our praise we pray this morning that you would just take this time and teach us your word that you would encourage us you would instruct us lord you'd reprove us rebuke us lord that the, that the word of god would uh, just uh, dwell in us richly in all wisdom and lord that you'd be glorified in both what we hear what we what we do And uh and Lord that in all that we do, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, Lord, we pray, God, that you get the honor and the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh we can see it didn't take Israel long uh to go from a place of provision back to a place of consternation. Um what's worse is they murmured against Moses, and and really at the end there, you saw at the end of verse seven, God remembered that and Why? Because they're, in essence, mocking their own salvation, asserting that God had led them out to become victimized instead of victorious. That's exactly what we talked about last week. And if this passage seems to be a bit like, uh, you know, Groundhog's Day, uh, it is. I mean, it's almost the same. Some of the things are exactly the same as what we saw in chapter 16. So last week we also talked about Israel, how they turned their deliverance into defiance because they could not manage their their unmet expectations. We're going to look at that once again this week. And we saw last week how the children of Israel did not... uh, accuse God directly, but they instead blame Moses and, and uh, the representative of God and his authority. So, I think God's trying to show us something this morning. Uh, it's possible, uh, that you and I have short memories like the children of Israel, right? It, I mean, this, this is like repeating itself. Anybody ever feel like that? Like, man, am I ever gonna learn this lesson? And oftentimes we won't, unless we keep repeating. But as these lessons keep being taught to Israel, God continues to provide, and you can see his grace and mercy. For those that, you know, don't read the Old Testament. I mean, you really should. You see the character and the nature of God because it is so. he is so gracious with his children, Israel, as they continue uh, to uh, kick against the prick, so to speak. They keep bucking against his will. And so we're just like that. And so let's examine what has happened. So in Exodus 15 through 16, uh, we've seen some things. And in chapter 15, we saw the children of Israel were, were only three days from the Red Sea when the first mention of the word murmured shows up. In the Bible. Uh, okay, so we give them some grace. God takes a tree, throws it in, he makes the bitter water sweet. Oh man, what a happy ending. They go to Elam and they are, you know, they got 70 palm trees, 12 waters, water wells. And man, it's a great ending to a, what would have been, start off as a rough story. So we praise the Lord for that. Uh, but then of course we get to chapter 16 uh, and uh, Israel had moved from that oasis uh, down to uh, the first mention of the word murmur. So I say murmured past tense was uh in uh, verse chapter 15 and then chapter 16 they murmur and uh and that's 45 days uh, from the exodus of Egypt they're murmuring uh, again and that was over the the issue of the manna that we saw last week so God again provided that longing that they had to eat uh bread and he gives them bread from heaven and what a lesson that is and we saw last week and so uh, they eat that bread for 40 years in the wilderness and uh as God remembered last week, God proved them and uses that to prove them. And we learned some of them were kind of knuckleheads and wasn't they wouldn't do it the way God said. So they had to learn, like when I, this is what I said, do this every day, do this for six days, do this on the seventh. And so they got all that worked out and then they were able to move forward by faith. So now uh, they moved from uh, the wilderness of sin to Rephidim. And, and what God clearly wants us to see is that there's some lessons we cannot afford to forget, no matter how much time passes. This is the, this, uh, situation occurs without any real timeline, at least not one that I could discern. I don't think it was long into their journey, but it, it, uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't given a time. And I looked for some landmarks that would give me exact time. I couldn't find any, so I'm not going to give it a time frame because I don't know. But it was in Exodus 15, 23 through 27 that God made bitter water sweet and provided for them in Elam. But the church, uh, was very busy since then, right? They've been moving around they've been going and going and uh, they've been to elam They've been in the wilderness of sin and now they're coming to rephidim and they're on the move And it reminds me of our church a little bit always moving always going if you're around here very long We we got a calendar with three seasons and and we're always planning what the next thing is And as I was looking at this passage, I thought man, what a good time to just do some reflection and make sure uh, We learn some lessons for a church that's on the move because god was taking israel somewhere, right? Where was he taking them? Yeah, promised land. He's taken them to the promised land. He's taken them to a place of blessing. He he had something for them. But we know that before they get there, as a matter of fact, the next thing we'll see in this chapter is that they're enemies. The Holy Ghost is very careful as we came out of uh, Exodus and those miracles to teach us that that as they came out, uh, they were going to face b- battles. He called them an army, but they didn't look like an army. They looked like, well, they looked just like slaves that just got freed. And so they come out and God calls them an army, but yet they haven't had a battle Well, they're getting ready to have one. And uh, and yet this is what's going on right before the big battle. Uh, And, of course, they're probably not actually mentally prepared for it. And that's important because God needs them to learn these lessons of discipline, right? Both individual discipline, as we saw last week, but also unit discipline so that they can go forward in faith and accomplish the mission that God has for them. So the first point for study this morning is the church on the move must learn to be teachable, right? The church on the move must learn to be teachable. Pastor Philip Brooks uh, from the 1800s said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray for stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Isn't that wise? That's so true. Exodus 17 and verse 1, God leads them and He said, and it comes into this place of Rephidim. The whole congregation, it says all the congregation. So they were in unison. All the congregation, the children of Israel, journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord. They've been doing what they're supposed to do. They're, they're take, they they're figured out the manna. They got it all figured out. They're doing what God told them to do. They're following Moses. They're following the pillar. They're following the cloud. And he brings them to a place called Rephidim. Maybe they said, you know, like a kid, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? Moses says, we're almost there. What's it called, Dad? It's Rephidim. Which means a place of rest oh man great. I can't wait i'm getting thirsty. I need some water I mean it's quick trip there. I need to get a fountain drink I mean i'm looking for something to quench my thirst dad. I can't wait So they're excited to get to Rephidim. They've been doing the right thing point a We got to learn to follow god obediently. That's the first thing So let's give them some credit. They've been doing that Uh, Remember who you're following. And and, and I know this may sound a little repetitive, but it's important because that's the lesson that God's teaching us from the text. But the Holy Ghost makes it clear here that we need to remember that the Lord will be with us always, even till the end of the world. We ended with that last week. So we, we must remember that the children of Israel were being led by Moses, but Moses was following the pillar in the cloud. And so Israel was not moving anywhere that the Lord wasn't taking it. And that's the thing that's kind of wild to think about when they get so, like, cross with Moses is like, man, it's not like they're just following Moses. There's this pillar in this cloud. It's like right there. And it's leading them. So, uh, it's not like this was not somewhere God didn't want them to go or, or Jesus wouldn't have let them there. And so, uh, the, the text says that they were journeying, jour, journeying, I'm sorry, jur, journeying, not journaling. They can't journal, but they were journeying according to the commandment of the Lord. So just as God had taken them from Marah to Elam to the wilderness of sin, he led them right here to Rephidim. So God know, knew exactly what he was uh, doing with Israel, taking them to this place, called a place of rest, without any water so that they would be thirsty. So this is the first mention of Rephidim in the Bible, and it's only mentioned a few times. It's in chapter the same chapter in verse 8, chapter 19 in verse 2, Exodus. It's mentioned a couple more times, I'm sorry, in Numbers thirty three fourteen and 15, and that's it. That's the full mention. So you get the whole thing right here in the context of this journey uh, uh, in the wilderness. And it's really there for a lesson. Uh, it's a lesson to the children of Israel. So interestingly enough, the number five represents grace. It's found five, five times in the Bible. Man, they needed some rest. They needed some grace. But it also represents death in the Bible. And, uh, and when they get there, they feel like they're going to die. Oh my gosh, God's going to kill us. And yet, what do they get there? We've already read this story. God gives them grace. He gives them water from the rock. And isn't that how God is? Isn't he good? If you don't know why to follow God this morning, that's why to follow God, because he's good. Even when you think you're going to die of thirst, he's good. He provides. So point B, remember the lesson that God allows longing in our lives. And that's a repetition from last week. But repetition is the price of learning. Once again, we see that God led his people to a place of need, a place of longing, just as we saw in Exodus chapter 16, and we even saw it in Exodus 15, three chapters in a row. It's important to remember that God supplies all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Man, that's one of the things that the Apostle Paul locked in on there in Philippians, right? God will supply all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He is our supply. So we'll not find rest for our souls if we don't follow Christ with uh, who is our rest. We often try to find rest in the wrong things, uh, or uh, things that we will not satisfy. So this is not the only time God led Israel to the desert place to provide water miraculously. He's going to do it again in the coming millennium. It's amazing if you go read ahead in Isaiah 41. Uh, these stories that we see today, there's going to be a future prophetic fulfillment in Isaiah 41. The Bible says in verse 17, when the poor and the needy seek water, there is none and their tongue faileth for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the waters or the wilderness a pool of water and dry land, spring water, springs of water. God's going to open up springs in the desert. He says, I will plant in the wilderness the cedar uh, the the cedar tree, the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set uh, in on the desert the fir tree and the pine and the box tree together that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. God's going to prove his sufficiency for his people, but to the whole world they will see that he is the creator when he returns to this earth and literally brings forth water in the desert, turns the desert into a luscious garden like place and so all of these things are uh, important your bible you bible students will note that the sabbath is mentioned for the first time as we saw last week in exodus 16:23 so it's no accident that the lord is showing us a picture of his power provision as that seventh day that millennial reign of christ comes and he will provide water in the desert for his people he will answer their prayer and he will provide for them miraculously in the desert to the children of Israel. So God led, he led them to a place of longing for water so he could provide them a picture that none of us will ever forget. But before we get into that picture very far, I just want to mention that we should make sure, point C, learn not to repeat mistakes. You know, when I was at the Fagin Company, I had, a, I had a sharp learning curve. I mean, it was a pretty steep one. And uh, <clears throat> the engineers were very gracious with me. I was green as grass. Um, you know, I, when I went to work there, I didn't, I didn't know the nomenclature. I didn't understand a lot of the, the you know, technical jargon. So it was like, first got to learn the language. You don't even know what they're talking about half the time. Pretty particular about all those things. And so <clears throat> one day I was, in a, I was in a guy named Don Erskine's office. He's an engineer. And we're going over some drawings. And, uh, and I'd made some mistake. I don't even remember what it was. Uh, and the presidents in there were looking at this job and, <clears throat> and they were pointing out some of these mistakes that I'd made that needed corrected. And they'd been pretty gracious and they, and they were super gracious actually with some of the, the boneheaded mistakes I made. And the president looked at me and, uh, with all seriousness and he said, okay, Brian, it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. Um, but you should only make the mistake once. And he wasn't smiling. And he wasn't laughing. <laughs> you know, he was being serious. He's like, you get to make a mistake once, and then you learn from it, and that's it. And from there on, you gotta, you know, that's it. And, uh, and I took that to heart because every mistake costs them money and time, of course. And, and there are some lessons in life, uh, that you just don't wanna keep repeating, you know? Uh, and, and being on the move, man, it's not an excuse for memory loss. I don't know about you, the older I get, I've been on the move for a long time, 50, over 50 years now. I think my memory's going. But it's not an excuse for memory loss. And what I mean by that is, is once again, we can't allow unmet expectations uh, to allow us to get to a place where we are not um, obeying the Lord. Once again, unmet expectations brought Israel to that place of chiding because the rest uh, God provided didn't include the water that they desired. And they did need water. God allowed that longing. So this is the first mention of the word chide in the English Bible. Chide is often rendered as strive in the Old Testament. Noah, Noah Webster said, chide was to scold, to clamor, to find fault, to contend in words of anger. So we find the full mention of the word uh, with a, a quick study of Exodus 17, 12, Judges 8, 1, Psalms 103 and verse 9. I'll just read to you Psalm 103. What a wonderful passage. He says, as God uh, reveals his faithfulness to Israel personally, it says in Psalms 103, 7, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. What's he trying to teach them? He's merciful and gracious. Slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide. Neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I mean, these guys right out of the bat, uh, you know, chapter 15, 16 and 17, they're stubbing their toe pretty good. And yet God is gracious to them. Right? He's, he's gonna, he's not always gonna chide with them. He's provided for them. And as they, as we get to Psalms 103 and you look back in uh, chapter uh, 103 verses 7 through 10, you can see that the Lord is merciful. He is gracious. He is good. And God is patient and kind to Israel, just as he is patient and kind to us, especially while they were young. Now, as they progressed through the wilderness, his expectations grew, didn't they? Right, He wasn't treating him the same way uh, later on as he treated them when they first came out of Egypt. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. Luke chapter 12, 47 through 48. That servant that knows to do good and doesn't do it, that's sin. There's a point where to whom much is given, much is required. Like my old boss said, okay, Brian, now that you know what to do, what am I expected to do? Do it. Do it. right? And so that was the expectation. So point D. Unmet expectations are not an excuse to question God uh, nor his provision. So uh, I'm going to go light here as we covered all of that last week, so I'm not going to repeat all that. But let's just quickly examine some of this since it's in the text. Moses asked two questions that never get answered in verse 3. The first one is, why chide with me? This is in essence a repeat of the manna uh, and a repeat of the murmuring. Uh, the word chided is, in, uh, is added. I think it's a little more contentious, basically, I think, than it probably was even with the manna. And uh, and he's like, why, why are you chiding? Why are you striving? Why are you fighting with me? What's the problem? Why why? Uh, why? why are you tempting the Lord? Wherefore, he says, because you're fighting with me, you're fighting with God. Same thing as we saw uh, with the manna in the wilderness of sin. So notice that the children of Israel didn't take the time to reason with Moses. They go back to the same painful accusations that they cast at him in Exodus 16 and verse three. And they're like, dude, you are a murderer. right. So they start attacking his character. Moses, you let us out again to kill us, to kill our kids, to kill our cattle. You're nothing but a murderer. You don't love us. You don't care for us. You don't like, you know, all of that. And then, and they're all over him. So their question is framed as an accusation. They're not really asking a legitimate question. In chapter 17 and verse 3, And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this, that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? They could have just said, Hey, Moses, are we going to get watered out here? <laughs> they didn't have to throw in, Why did you bring us up to kill us with thirst? And so here's uh, Here's my summation. You're, you're really, this is what they were saying. Hey, Moses, you're really a murderer, not a deliverer. You, you brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. Once again, bringing up Moses' past before he ever uh, left Egypt to begin with and uh, totally negating everything that God had done in his life from the time he entered the promised land to deliver them. So here's a leadership note if you're in leadership or you're ahead of a home which you're in leadership. Are you're running your children in your house, ladies, you're in leadership. Here's something you can learn. Understand that the accuser of the brethren is relentless and ruthless. I was just talking with a young lady the other day, and, uh, man, I could just tell that, uh, that she didn't see herself as I did. She's beautiful. I'm thinking, why do you feel like that about yourself? Because there's something accusing you. You're, you're believing some message that's not true. Uh, you can't live in the past when God has secured your future. When you really boil this text down, and you really look at what God is doing with Israel in both in chapters 15, 16, and 17, He is really separating from their past. He's trying to take them forward in discipline so that they can be the army that God has saved them to be. What He's already called them as an army, He needs them to get. And the next thing we're going to see after the after the holidays in January is they go into battle. So now they're going to fulfill what it is that god had called them to which is actually to be a nation to be At war to to defeat the enemies and to accomplish his mission and his power for his glory, right? But they got to get over these humps because man, I tell you what there's the real stuff yet to come And you know what the devil does is bringing up stuff That doesn't really matter. You can't live in the past when god has secured your future They're like, oh did god bring us out here so he could starve us to death No, here's some manna. Learn that I will provide. Now let's move forward and I'll bless you some more. Just like I did with the water. Okay, nope. Now we're thirsty. God brought us out here to kill. Nope, I'm going to give you water from the rock. But God deals with this a little differently. And so Israel demonstrates a recognizable pattern of carnality that we also see in our own lives. It starts with a bad attitude. You know, even Baptists, ironically, literally, uh, have have labeled themselves at times bad attitude Baptists, as though it's a moniker. Uh, That's not a good thing. Right, you don't want to have a bad attitude. It's a non-cooperative attitude, and then they, then there's a silent resentment that is not expressed, which we know in the New Testament is called a root of bitterness. Right, and then an irritable disposition, a quiet, low, pri- low, low profile complaint, a, a grumbling, a, a secret under, underground muttering, a resentment of, uh, of uh, the, a resentment that gets sounded forth. A complaint that's loudly voiced, an angry voice that's complaining publicly, an angry exhortation uh, to act on their complaint, which is what the children of Israel are doing. And and then, of course, uh, it gets to the point here where, where Moses is literally saying, these people are going to kill me, God. This isn't just complaining. They want my head. And, hey, I tell you what, beloved, those things happen. It happens in churches. I've seen churches where where good men get ran off. People want his head. If you're not uh, teachable, this is what the really uh, the reality is. If we're not teachable, we're not usable. You got to remain teachable, and you got to know God's character is good. He didn't dis- save you to destroy you. And man, so many of us, Amy and I were just visiting the other day about a, a brother that we know, and and he just has this complex that God is like heavy-handed, like he I, and his dad's a good. man. I know the guy's father. His dad's a good guy. I don't think his dad beat him around the house or you know, was it really overbearing? I don't know where he gets this concept of God, but it's like God is always out to get him. Maybe he's just got a guilty conscience. I don't know. But he says he's saved. I'm like, man, you need to get your your father-son relationship thing down. God is your father. He loves you. I mean, he's nobody to toy with, but he wants what's best for you. God needs Israel to grow through this because the real battles are right around the corner in verse 8. So God is a God of war, as we've seen, and, and those people... Uh, are there to win the war with him and for him and God has a plan for them but he needs them to obey him. It's impossible uh to face impossible circumstances if you don't have security in your relationship with your father. And some of the circumstances that they will eventually face will be impossible if it were not for God. But the good news is since we can read ahead, they get there. Amen. They get there. God's so good. And so God wants to put them in a position Of provision and victory but they don't believe that and we know they finally learned their lesson as as they march around Jericho right seven times they blow the trumpets the walls come down Israel gets it down eventually and these are lessons that they are learning so that they can get where God needs them to go but that's 40 years out these lessons are the first steps to learning how to be obedient as a nation to be obedient as an army And we see similar grace that God gave in the New Testament with the Corinthian church in the New Testament. Paul opened his introduction. If you ever read the introduction of 1 Corinthians, the first uh, few verses there, you're like, wow, this is the best church ever. And then you get right after that. Boy, Paul gets into it and he's like, guys, you're just carnal. You're childish. It's time for you to grow up. You're walking as men, not as as, as sons of God. I mean, the way you're walking is not in the spirit. You know what? That's what discipleship is all about. All the disciples had to learn to rest in God's promises over their own ideas and unmet expectations. Thomas and Peter were a couple of the, the clearest of examples of disciples that struggle with unmet expectations in the ministry. Thomas, he wouldn't show up on Sunday night service. Remember that? He's like, forget it, dudes. I'm out. He was so disappointed in the way the kingdom work went down. And Peter was, was so down on himself, right, after re- rejecting the Lord, that he says, like, I'm just going to go back and go fishing for a living. I'm not worthy to be used. You know what? Both of those were receiving messages that were not true, were they? The next thing you know, you see Thomas sticking his hand in the Word of God, and man, he comes to life. The guy who was once willing to give his life is now back and ready to do it again, and history records he did that in India, down in Kerala. He gave his life, planted churches, and died as a martyr. Peter the same way he's out fishing and he hears the voice of Jesus he sits down and has a meal with him next thing you know man Peter's just 50 days out man he's leading the church and he's got great things ahead of him real battles to fight but both of those men had to learn some lessons didn't they beloved unmet expectations will mess us up no matter what you do where you go in ministry you will find that they will only you'll only find rest and refreshment from for our souls in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got to be personal. That Jesus is your sabbath. He is your rest. That's a New Testament principle. He is our rest. We're not looking for some other place to find rest. We're looking for a person. He is our rest. So water from the rock for the church on the move. And it's important that if we're going to get that rock, we got we got to get that water. We got to be teachable. Right? We got to be willing to receive the lessons because God's going to bring that those lessons from where? The words of God. This is the water that God gives us for our soul number two the church on the move must learn to be faithful Right, so god's not just teaching them to be teachable. He needs them to be faithful and, and this is a great example I'd never seen this until I was working back through this text and uh, we see that the leaders must be faithful Uh in exodus 17 and verse 4 it says moses cried unto the lord saying what shall I do unto this people? They they'd be almost ready to stone me I mean moses is in a place here where he really as a leader has no more answers I mean, he's not, he's not going to come up with anything else to say that's going to change anything. Israel's crisis of faith has brought Moses to an, his own personal crisis in leadership. How can he lead Israel into battle against the Amalekites if they're having insurrection at Rephidim? I mean, that's not going to work very well. Can you imagine that? You're, you're Moses and you're like, he, his whole ministry has come to this point and it looks like an utter colossal failure. And believe me, I know how that feels. So God, godly leaders know where to find good leadership. Where's Moses going to go? Well, you know he should call Christianity Today. He should get that on the website and find out what all the other talking heads are saying. That is the last place you want to go, by the way. Uh, no. He should call all his buddies. Well, there's nobody else to call. You know, he should call Ghostbusters. He can't do that either. So where does he go? He goes to the Lord in prayer. Amen. When you're, when, when I mean, I, I know you, mom, sometimes dad's not home. Things are going crazy. You're pulling your hair out. You're like, oh no, where do I go? Go to Jesus. Man, that's, that's the only place you can go. You may have to go in the bathroom and lock the door for a minute, but go to Jesus, right? Go to Jesus. Cause he is the, he is the place you got to go. Pastor, same way. He is our, he's our leader, man. When you're a leader in crisis, there's only one leader to go to. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a short prayer. He says, what shall I do unto this people? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. Perfect prayer. What shall I do unto this people? And so notice he doesn't ask, what shall I say unto this people? Moses knows only an act of God is going to turn this ravenous group of sheep around. I mean, these sheep have some teeth. So point B, the leaders must be faithful in difficult and seemingly impossible circumstances. It's important. Because we see the next thing that God does is say, Hey, uh, Moses, grab all those other elders, those other men that I need to be leaders, and I want them to follow you as you all deal with this impossible circumstance together. Let's all deal with an impossible circumstance together uh, because uh, you're going to all have to depend on me for the outcome. So that's what we see in verse 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Go. I go ye therefore. All right. So God tells Moses where to go. Uh, Moses, go on before the people. Get out in front of the congregation. Get out in front and uh, and lead. So leaders, you know what leaders got to do? They got to lead. So God tells Moses, get out in front and start leading. And then the second thing God tells Moses is who is to go with him. He says, take the elders of Israel with you. The elders obviously represent the leadership of Israel. They were obviously intimately aware, if not contributing to uh, some of what was going on in the camp, so he says, "Take those guys with you," and notice uh, he did not ask for their participation. He didn't say, "Okay, elders, let's take a vote and see who wants to go." He said, "Look, elders, go. God said you're going. if you're an elder, you're moving, and you're moving with him and uh, the participation was demanded and expected, so if you're not willing to move with Moses at that point, uh, you're not really a leader, I suppose so They weren't qualified. So God God needs the leaders of Israel to experience the same lesson concerning God's power to provide in an impossible situation as he was teaching Moses. And so you notice when Jesus did his miracles, right? He did all those miracles. Who was around? His disciples. Not everybody else was always around. Sometimes he was trying to keep it on the down low. But his disciples were always watching. Why? Because it was important that his disciples understood later on when he ascended who they were following. They were following God manifest in the flesh they had been with him, they had a whole they had a whole list of things they had seen him do and man, they would draw on that experience because they had followed Jesus and seen his power work in people's lives. so God needs the leaders of Israel to experience that power. The leaders are also they represent God's unified authority of the congregation. the congregation needed to see the the leadership uh, in a, uh, in a unison. they needed to see a, a combined Why wouldn't it be nice if we had a nation with leadership in unison At least around something righteous anyway, that's why we're not in unison. But anyway, I won't go there This isn't a political speech. Let's just talk about god's people And so god tells moses what to take with him. Of course, he says take the rod wherewith thou smotest the river. We're all familiar with that rod and how famous it is Take it in in thine hand, right? Just like he told him in exodus 4:2. two. What's in your hand shepherd man? It's time to herd some sheep. Let's go Let's herd some sheep together Moses and let's just like we did on the back side of the desert This isn't much different. Just do what I tell you to do and now he's asking him um, What's in your hand Moses grab that rod take it with you And uh, and so Moses had enough personal experience with god And the rod to know god's going to use it There's not actually any indication here that moses is is at all concerned about god's ability to provide Isn't that awesome? What a good leader man god had, gave him peace that passes understanding. Beloved, that's where we get our peace. That's where we get our rest is from Jesus. He gives us a peace that passes understanding. Beloved, the rod is what we have right here in this, this book. This is our Bible. This is the rod of correction. This is the staff that we have. It gives us a peace that passes understanding in impossible circumstances. And we just follow him and we use it. It represents the authority that we need when God is going to do a miracle in our lives, in the lives of the church, he's going to come through. It's going to come through this book. It's going to come through the power of God's word. And God reiterates Moses's need to go. The last thing he says there is like, go, he says, OK, go and do this, this and this and then Go. Make sure you do what I've told you to do. Take the rod in your hand and go. The time to pray has ended. The time to execute has begun. So God's plan has begun. So go uh, be, uh, go ye therefore and teach all nations. You don't have to pray about some things. We have a team this week in, in Oaxaca. Hallelujah. Last week we were celebrating. Last Sunday we celebrated the team that traveled to Monmouth. I mean isn't that exciting? The church is on the go. That's what we're talking about. The church is on the go. We're celebrating going here. We're celebrating going there. We're praying over the people that are out doing the mission of God and and obeying the command of God. What an exciting thing it is to be in God's will and go. But you got to do it, obviously, with God's authority, with his word. Hallelujah to you, man. It's exciting. They go where God calls them to go. So point C, faithful intercession occurs in faithful churches. Prayer is so important. Faithful leaders intercede for God's people so they can receive God's provision. In verse 6, he says, Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock of Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people, that the people may drink, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now notice, this is what God is saying, not what Moses is saying. He's already said his seven-word prayer. And God, look what God gives him back. God gives him a whole sentence. God gives back more than, 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 than uh, in words, more volume and more, more substance. And that is how it goes, guys. Sometimes it's just a short prayer. God help! And man, God reaches down and saves you and pulls you out of that ocean, man. He delivers you. And he saves your life. And he takes you somewhere. Man, he, said, Mo, he Moses is just saying, God, I don't know what to do to this people. God says, well, let me tell you what to do, Moses. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And now, look at this. I'm going to stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb. Now, notice the position of Moses and God. Moses is commanded to get in front of the people, but yet God gets in front of Moses. Moses stands in, uh, 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 God stands in front of Moses, and we know that Moses is standing in front of the leaders because that's what he's been called to do. know what I did notice, too, as I was studying this, is nothing's really mentioned about the congregation. I don't know who was there and who wasn't. There were probably some people there that were curious. There were probably some people that were still mad ready to go back to Egypt, right? We don't know. None of those details are given, but it didn't really matter. What mattered is that God was there. Moses was there. The leaders were there and everybody that was willing to follow was there and God was going to do something big. Moses stands there as God is, is standing there before him. Uh, it says there in verse six, the elders were witnesses to the people of God as they saw how God interceded for the nation, for their thirst, for everything. It was an incredible thing. That God did for the nation of Israel. He led them there. He he gave them that thirst. So that they could see his provision. The elders were witnesses. To the people of God. The elders witnessed God's faithfulness. To provide and fulfill his promise. As he smote that rock. Boom. And the water came forth. The elders witnessed that power. that, That purity of that water. That flowed from that rock. I mean it was a literal miracle. Unbelievable. Thousands of gallons of water, I believe, were just flowing out of there. Way better than going up to Ephraim with 12 wells of water. It would appear God desired to reveal his faithfulness to the elders as he did to Moses. They they would then be responsible for leading their thirsty followers to the rivers of living water. So it would be the elders' job to attest of God's powerful provision in those who wavered in their faith. So here's the practical application today. Not just to the pastors, which is obvious, but to all of us in any leadership capacity. You know what? We, got to, we can only attest to the things that we've experienced. And I can attest to you this morning that the only water that you need to really drink from that's going to satisfy your soul is the water that flows from the rock. The rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rock of his word. That's really all we have to give folks is the water of God's word. So we must learn the lesson that God pictured on Mount Horeb. In Exodus 17 and verse six, we just read it, but it's actually mentioned again in 1 Corinthians 10:4. Paul clarifies what this is what this is all about. He says in 1 Corinthians 10:4 that they all drank of the same spiritual drink, and they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That rock was just a picture of Jesus Christ, who is the rock of our salvation. And of course, uh, the Bible goes on. Peter speaks of rocks. He says, "Ye have also." Ye are also lively stones. You're like a rock. You're built uh, of a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a cornerstone, a chief cornerstone, I'm sorry, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. He's a rock. We believe upon him. In verse 8 of that same passage, he says a stone, of stumbling and a rock of offense unto them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereinto also they were appointed. Some people stumble over the rock, and some people get satisfied from the rock. It all depends on your disposition, doesn't it, man? How many can remember the day when you take the water from the rock, man? You called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. It's a beautiful thing. Paul and Peter were just identifying Jesus, like Moses did in Deuteronomy 32. Moses calls him the rock in verse 30. How should one chase a thousand and put ten thousand to flight except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? For their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. He's saying, man, we got such a rock in Jesus Christ. He is our sufficiency. The Holy Spirit makes sure the personal pronoun is used so we cannot miss who Moses is referring to. Jesus's name is the rock. Uh, not So Dwayne Johnson, man, he, sorry, Dwayne, you're out of luck. That name was taken. Moses is is, is uh, obviously also a picture of the law, which is our schoolmaster. And what does it do? It leads us unto Christ. So Moses, he takes the children of Israel. He takes actually the leadership of the children of Israel, and he brings them up to this mount. And who's he bringing them to? Well, Jesus already said, I'm going to stand before you. And they're right there with a the rock. Just a picture of how the law leads us to Christ. Leads us to Christ. That's where you're going to get your satisfaction. That's where we get our satisfaction. We get it through Christ who is our rock. And I want to mention this, that he was only smitten and was only to smite that rock how many times? Once. Once. That's right. One time. In Romans 6.10, the Bible says, For in that he died, he died once uh, unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many unto them that look for him. Uh, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation? So God is no respecter of persons. Leaders, right? When you mess up His picture, you mess up your inheritance. In Numbers chapter 20, and I think I got time. Let's go look at that real quick. Numbers chapter 20. I didn't. I didn't put it in uh, the slides today, and they may have it though. They're so good up there. But anyway, uh, Numbers chapter 20. I was just going to reference this, but let's have a quick look. Uh, Numbers chapter twenty and verse ten. It says here, and Moses and Aaron they gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, "Hear now, ye rebels! What an <laughs> we like we like look at that as a badge of honor. God, not so in God's book. We uh, must we fetch you water out of this rock. Moses is obviously he's he should have went to praying again. What should I do to this people? But he's fired up." And Moses lifted up his hand with his rod, and he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and the beasts also. But this is a great picture of God's graciousness. Uh, it says, and the Lord spake unto Moses. He's gracious to the children of Israel, because actually Moses didn't obey what God said. God said, speak to the rock. And said he smote it. And he didn't just smite it once, he smote it twice. He totally messes up the picture. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not... Right. Unbelief Uh, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I give them. I mean, they've been working 40 years for this. And this is at the this is at the finish line. This is is the water of Meribah. Oh, we're getting ready to talk about that because the children of Israel strove with the Lord and he was sanctified in them. So here we see that Moses lost an opportunity to enter the promised land. Because he let his emotions get a hold of him and he smote the rock twice messing up that picture that god says hey listen Jesus is only going to die once for sin one time and so When moses was told to speak to the rock the children of israel uh, Didn't get to see that because moses messed up the picture And so it messed up moses inheritance But I want to share this with you before we move to our last point. In point First corinthians 1 2 the bible says under the church of god, which is at corinth To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. You know, those that are saints, you know how we become saints? By calling upon the name of the Lord. We speak to the rock and the rock hears our prayer and he answers us. In in John seven thirty eight, the Bible says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Beloved, when we get saved, the Holy Ghost comes in us. That rock that followed them, the Bible says, was, was Christ. That rock takes up residence in our lives. And you know what? That's That's where the water comes from. It comes from him, from his word. And so it's important that we respect and we honor those pictures that God gives us. Because water from the rock for the church on the move, man, that, that means we've got to be teachable and we got to be faithful. Moses was a good man, a faithful man. But you know what? He messed it up there at the end, and it cost him big. we got to be faithful to this word. And he, first, he, he didn't have the same experience at the same location. It wasn't Groundhog Day for him as he lost his cool and it messed up his inheritance. So point three, let's finish up. The church on the move must learn to be dependable. The last thing we see in our text in verse 7 as we wrap this up in 17.7 is it says, Uh, and 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 he called the name of the place Amasa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And so we see this is a place. It's a difficult place for the children of Israel. It's a difficult place for Moses. And you know what? It's a time to grow because Amalek is on the way. God needed to teach them lessons because they were getting ready to fight the Amalekites. And you know what? As good as Moses was joshua was better as good as moses was joshua was better moses is great i mean he leads us to christ but christ is better than moses you see the picture moses is awesome but you know what he's not the wa- he's not the rock and he's not the water he just leads you there but what you and i need is jesus and what they learned at, that, at that, that place is called a place of rest without water. It's a quick trip without fountain drinks. I mean, what in the world? What did they learn there? Well, that God, Jesus Christ, Moses led him right there. But he didn't lead him to physical water. He led him to the spiritual rock. That water came out of that rock because Jesus Christ stood there and told Moses how to get it out. Do what I tell you. Obey and the water will come. Beloved, it's it's time to grow up because Amalek is on the way. I'll get to this next time I preach. It's going to be a while, so you'll forget. But what I'm about to say, probably. But I mean, even today, when you talk about war, just a few, just last week, I think it was Netanyahu was talking about the Amalekites. I mean, it is intense. This this collision that's coming is so intense that that they're talking about it today. I'm telling you guys, God was preparing this nation for what he needed him to do and god is preparing you for what he needs you to do and it is to get the water out of the rock we got to be dependable we got to learn the lessons that god has for us amalek will be showing up shortly to destroy israel they're coming to kill to steal and to destroy they think jesus is going to kill him in the wilderness wait till the amalekites get a hold of him jesus is not their problem moses is not their problem satan and the amalekites are their problem So God needed the children of Israel to understand that He was dependable so they could learn to be dependable, especially in impossible circumstances. You'll never be dependable in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ unless you learn His sufficiency. This church would not be where it is today if we had to rest in our own sufficiency. And you could, if you've been, especially if you're here from the first day till now, it's totally true. I mean, people can see, if you, it's amazing what God has done. And it's not because of me. And it's honestly not because of you. It's because of Jesus. But you are special. God loves you and he's blessing you. But it is because God is good and it's his sufficiency. And we know what we're not. We're not able. We're just not able to reach the world. Yet we're called to go, ye therefore, and teach all nations. So what do we do? We attempt to reach the world by faith because that's all we got. We don't have the biggest budget. We don't have the biggest resources. We don't have every, even every chair filled up. We don't have all the people resources. But what do we do? We go by faith to accomplish uh, accomplish an impossible mission that we believe is possible because of that rock that we follow, and that rock is Christ. Oh, he's a good God. Your life, your family, your ministry will not be dependable if you don't learn to rest in his sufficiency. When you boil their questions and their accusations down, the children of Israel were questioning God's dependability. It wasn't really Moses. They were saying... Did you lead us out here to kill us? Did you? Is God sending us out here to kill us in the wilderness? Are we losing our salvation? And of course the answer is no. They didn't believe they were really saved to be delivered to the promised land because their circumstances told them at the moment they were going to die. You know, men like, I think I was thinking about that concept. And and I'm not saying I've got that faith that I need either. I'm I'm still learning and growing. But I was thinking about men like William Tyndale. You know, tied to a stake. He's getting ready to burn at the stake. His last words are, open the king of England's eyes. You know, and you could go down through the annals, even recent history. Um, you know, people are dying for their faith in India right now. I mean, so this is not just history past, but this is an example. And think about how these, especially men like Tyndale, they go through all of that. There wasn't, there's no indication that he was going, well, maybe I made a wrong turn. I should have never translated that Bible into English. You know, he is focused. There's nothing. There's no other way to go. I am going here. And even when it looks like this is an utter failure, beloved, we got the words of God because he knew that God would deliver in impossible circumstances, even if he died. And he did. And we have the words of God because even our life is not what we're here for. We're here to serve God. It's eternal in the heavens. Israel failed the assignment, but eventually passed the test. I want to leave you with some good news because it's kind of get depressing. You're like three three times in a row, man. These people are messing up. But in verse seven, there he he reminds them. He says, "Hey, this place is massive. It's Meribah." We saw numbers. He brings it up again with with the failing of of uh, Moses. But Israel is forever recorded as failing the test in the wilderness. Yet God graciously uses them to do one of the most incredible things in the Bible, and that is get in the Promised Land. But He also uses their mistakes with the he uses their murmuring, I should say, with the manna and with the and the water back in, in uh, um, with the when they came out three days' journey. And then here with the water at uh, Rephium. And he uses these mistakes and these difficulties to magnify his mercy and his grace, just like Psalms 103 says. Man, we serve a merciful God. He's a good God. And he uses even their failings for his glory. The Bible even tells us that in Romans, that, man, if you think... Think of what God has done with Israel's failings. What's he going to do when they get restored? It's going to be incredible. It's a place of dispute, of trial, of strife and quarreling. But you know what? That's not the first time. There was a time when heaven was perfect. And Lucifer was cast down. And what was perfect became corrupted in Ezekiel 28, 13. The garden before the fall of Adam was perfect. In Genesis chapter 2. But in Genesis chapter 3. It got all corrupted. The garden of Gethsemane. Man it was a place of rest. Yet we find Jesus sweating drops of blood. While the disciples slept through his intense battle. With the forces of darkness. Beloved there are big battles. That happen around over the place of rest. And the place of peace. And it's only the person of peace. The Lord Jesus Christ that wins the battle. Jesus sweat drops of blood. in In a place of rest in Gethsemane. He wasn't resting. His disciples were sleeping. That rock, man, he has taken on everything that needs to be taken on. He, has, he is victorious. And he's the one that said, I thirst. And they gave him vinegar. Unfortunately, the church can be a place of strife at times. It's not intended to be. It's intended to be a place of peace. But we're just like the children of Israel at times, aren't we? So Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 1, and verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Strife is the same word as chide. And also, some also of goodwill. You're going to get a little both. It's not different than it was in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't different than it was when Lucifer fell. There's a battle. But he says in Philippians 2, 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than, than themselves You know what god gives us a prescription Uh, and it's right there in philippians 2 3 there shouldn't be strife or vainglory in the church It's a decision And then we have to make a decision to be like that rock that they followed and that rock Is christ that is the same rock that we follow jesus the rock of our salvation makes the difference between goodwill and peace and strife and vainglory and when we learn that lesson, because we're teachable, uh, we're faithful. God will make us dependable and God will get the glory. So rest in the Lord. Don't wrestle with the Lord. A place of rest is, is called Rephraim because uh, it's, it, that place was known. It was, But now um, that place that he took them was re, uh, Rephidim, I should say, Rephidim. And it was meant to be a place of rest, but it was turned into a place of wrestling. Was that God's fault? No, but he used that as a lesson to teach them that even when God brings you to a place of rest and it seems like there's no rest, where do we got to go? We got to go to Jesus, that rock who brings the resources that we need in impossible circumstances. That's because he's the rock. He will not go back on his word. He will deliver us to the promised land. Today, maybe you're in a trial of faith and you're struggling to be teachable, faithful, dependable. It may seem like you're in an impossible circumstance, yet that's exactly what. For God has led you so you can believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you can have rivers of living water flow from your belly because you believe on Jesus Christ, who is that rock that we've been talking about all morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time, I pray that there's someone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would experience what it is to believe upon a person that is so powerful that in impossible circumstances he can deliver eternal life. He can deliver water from that rock. Lord, we thank you so much for the picture that you've given us, how Jesus Christ is our supply. He is the water of living uh, of uh, He is the living water. He is the water of eternal life, just like he talked to the woman at the well. Lord, we pray God this morning, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. If you'd stand with me in an attitude of prayer, Heavenly Father, as we continue in prayer, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice it's not saved, that today would be the day of salvation. I just want to offer you a chance right now. If you're here this morning um, and, you're, and you're not saved and you want to be, man, today is a great day to get saved. What a good way, what a good way to wrap up a Thanksgiving holiday weekend and, and uh, get ready for what's coming at Christmas and next year. Anybody say, Brian, that's me. I need to be saved. I don't have the water, living water. I need the living water. That's why we're here this morning. Amen. Everybody saved. Ready to go? All right. Well, praise the Lord. Continue to follow God. If you're in impossible circumstances, maybe you just need some prayer this morning. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Several of us. Yeah, man. Man, guys, let's pray for each other. We're all here. We're, we're thirsty. Maybe there's some thirsty souls. And we need the water from the rock. I pray that God gives you that in a tangible way today. I mean, like you just know, like you know, like just flowing out of a out of a fountain full of grace and truth. Heavenly Father, I pray for those with hands in the air, Lord, several. They feel like they're in impossible circumstances. They've got difficulties, uh, Lord, things that just seem like, wow, what's the next step? Lord, uh, we need you. Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you. Lord, help us to remember that, not to, that we can't really get everything. There's time for action for sure, but at the end of the day, we've got to follow you. And as we follow you, Lord, you, you, obey, you, you bless us as we obey, as we're teachable, as we're faithful. Lord, we know that you're dependable. You're the one that brought the water from the rock. You're the one that told Moses how to, how to smite the rock one time. You're the one that gave him the instructions on how to get that done. He didn't know what to do. All he said is, what should I do, Lord? Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would give the instruction set to each of these that have their hands raised, that, Lord, that you would tell them what to do. And I know it includes go, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Lord, I pray God that our lives would be wrapped around the word of God and the word of God would be wrapped around us, Lord, that it would be so intertwined that we can't tell one from the other. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Lord, I pray God that you supply water to the soul. Lord, thank you for this great day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. And we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming this morning. I left off a verse. Look up Deuteronomy three, 2, 4. We're not going to do that right now. But uh, at any rate, it's a good one. Um, uh, so here we're going to take up the offering here in just a minute. And uh, as we're getting ready to do that, um, I just want to, uh, before we pray, I just want to mention Pastor Rajan made it back to Nepal this week. Um, he has a need for his orphanage. And uh, I just, he asked that I asked that you pray about that. It's, uh, he needs $100,000 to—he's got to build new orphanages in Nepal uh, that meet the criteria of the uh, government of uh, Nepal and Kathmandu to house his uh, orphans. So that was uh, one of the prayer requests. Uh, we didn't have a chance to get him in front of you uh, last week because mayor, the mayor was here and we were doing all of those things. So uh just kind of want to put that out for you and uh, let you know about that prayer request. So be, that's a big lift. Uh, for them. And uh, God has provided for them miraculously in the past. And that's an example of an impossible, something that seems impossible. So just pray for our brother and pray that God can give him uh, what he needs. All right. So let's go ahead and ask a blessing on the offering. And then we'll wrap up with a few announcements and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. Pray a blessing on the reading, the hearing, and the living of your word. As you tell us to go, go ye therefore and teach all nations, Lord, we know. Lord, that you want to do the impossible, and that's take uh, dead people and bring them to life. Quicken their souls with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for all the interactions that we have had this week with uh, many of our loved ones, uh, maybe some folks that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray that the seeds that have been planted, the conversations that have been had, Lord, would bring forth fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains. We look forward, Lord, to what you have for us uh, coming up in this Christmas season. And we, as we give back to you today, we're reminded of Jesus Christ, the rock, Uh, that was smote for our sin lord that gave gives us the water of living or the living waters the water of eternal life thank you for uh giving your son for us and as we give back to you today we pray that you bless it that you multiply it that you use it for your honor and glory we thank you and we praise you and we ask this in jesus name amen Paging Jason (laughs) McGuire. So uh, I guess uh, I'm going to do the announcement. So I don't have anything in front of me, so I'll go off the top of my head. Um, Thank you for coming. Uh, uh, I will remind you to pray for the uh, Oaxaca team. They didn't make it safely to Oaxaca yesterday, so keep them in your prayer. Uh, Franny Winter sent me a message. She wants me to tell you uh, thank you for your prayers. She's encouraged in the hospital and getting better, so well, I don't know if she's getting better, but she's going through treatment. So she told me today she misses you and would like me to tell you that. So I have an opportunity to do that. And uh, and remember, this next week we're having our Next Steps meeting. Uh, it'll be over here in the uh, Common Grounds room after church. Uh, you probably were getting notified from the church. I know some of you have had an indication you want to go to that. We'd love to have you. Uh, if you can RSVP in the office, that's great. And uh, if not, uh, then uh, show up anyway. We want to have you in there, and we'll... Uh, that meeting is just to help you see, take the next right steps. If you, it's not necessarily a new members meeting. It's to give you information so you can make a good decision if you want to be a member or you have questions about the church and what we believe and so on and so forth. Also, a rem- reminder that uh, this coming Wednesday night, uh, we'll be back on schedule with the uh, child training. So Jason will be teaching that. And, um, and I'll remind you also to sign up for volleyball uh, as uh, that uh, registration is going to be coming to a close December 17th, so don't forget to get in on that. <clears throat> and it looks like the Keep Him in Stitches will be this uh, coming Tuesday night, so they'll be meeting. Uh, and, uh, and for those of you that need to get baptized, that'll be coming up December 10th. Make sure to get, get a hold of me or one of your ABF pastors or someone that you know that can get you connected and directed um, I think that's everything I need to touch on today. One last thing, as we, I should have mentioned this earlier, is, uh, uh, be praying about the Christmas offering. Every year we take up a Christmas offering and we give it, uh, the, the, you know, that, that offering. We, we usually divide it up between the missionaries and give them a, a Christmas blessing to the missionary. So be praying about that. We'll be planning to take that up on December 24th, which is during our Christmas Eve, uh, service. We'll be meeting here. We won't have a Christmas Eve evening service. We'll just be meeting on Sunday morning on Christmas Eve. As is our custom on Sundays, uh, and then, uh, we will have, uh, that day will be the day to give in that offering. So, I think that takes care of most everything. So let's, uh, go ahead and, uh, let's stand to our feet. You guys have been sitting a while. It's that turkey, man. I tell you what. Too much. So, I was telling Pastor Pradeep, I said, this is a great holiday that we observe, but it is on the verge of gluttony. I'm just telling, I'm just warning you up front. So, so pace yourself. All right, so let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your, this time to be together as a church. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for, for loving us. We pray a blessing uh, on, your, on your word as it goes forth in our lives. Uh, Lord, I know I need to be teachable. I need to be faithful. I need to be dependable. But all that really comes from you. You're the one um, that shows us what that looks like. You've lived it out for us. You've, uh, you obeyed the Father. You died on the cross. You rose again. You are our sufficiency. You are all that we need. And, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for giving us your word that just flows with water that overflows. Our cup runneth over, as it says in Psalm 23. And we're just thankful for that. We're thankful for a season of thanksgiving. And, Lord, we're thankful, Lord, that you have fitly joined and framed us together as a unit so we can all move together, not in murmuring, uh, but in mission Lord, thank you for giving us a mission to go Ye therefore and teach all nations We thank you and we praise you for your word that's truth I pray god as your folks go out today That you bless them that you keep them safe on the roads and in the cold weather and lord that in all that we do Whether we eat or drink lord that you get the honor and the glory. We ask this in jesus name. Amen